there. Welcome to another life-transforming sermon with Dr. Dazwit Achero. Well, I want us to go to the Word of God this morning. Hallelujah. Are you excited about the Word of God this morning? Glory to God. We've been looking at the valuable member, and I want to go to part two of this series, the valuable member or mini-series, which is part of the main series of Loving the Church. Um, and we looked at a valuable member is a consistent attendee, one who consistently attends church, because God expects us to consistently attend church. Now, today I want to deal with another very important valuable member. Number two is a consistent giver. You're not excited. Hmm? When you're excited, how do you react? So, let, let's do it again. The valuable member is a consistent giver. Beautiful. Let us pray. Father, speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, yesterday I was somewhere, I was invited for... Um, I was invited for a ceremony. Uh, one of our members here was, uh, I don't know if I should say it. Let me just say it anyway, because Ikoapa was moving into um, his new house. Beautiful, beautiful house. And he invited me and Pastor Mary to go and dedicate the house. And so we went, and it's a beautiful house, man. Beautiful house, man. And I was so happy. I was telling him, I'm so happy I'm your pastor. That you're living and moving in a beautiful, nice house. Took us around the house. It was a beautiful house, man. You know, that house has levels. You know, it's level one, level two, and level three. Glory to God. Some of you, when you go to level five, you're outside the house, isn't it? On top. Isn't it? But it's a beautiful. May you live in such a house. A house with levels. Not just bedrooms. Levels. Hallelujah. For some of us, we live in houses where everything is on the ground floor. <laughs> the kitchen is on the ground floor. The sitting room is on the ground floor. The toilets are on the ground floor. The bed is on the ground floor. Somebody say mercy. <laughs> Anyway, as we were there, so we sat, we fellowshiped, we talked about many things, you know, and we we're discussing different things. And then a discussion came about, about subjects and whatever. And I was so excited because um, I love physics. Physics was my best subject in, in class. And we started talking about physics and uh, I was giving them a refresher course on physics because it was one of my best subjects um, in class. So I don't want to bore you with many de details, but I just want you to know we discussed physics. <laughs> and in physics, the entire syllabus, as much as I can remember, is all about laws. And all these scientists or physicians were able to come up with laws that are there in the world that governs the world. 
For example, when you see a plane taking off, there is a certain law that is in place to ensure or to make sure that the plane is able to defy the force of gravity. Because there is a law that says everything that goes up must come down. But when you put certain laws into place, you are able to defy, you know, certain laws. It's a binolis principle. <laughs> you want me to educate you a little bit? Yeah. It's the binolis principle, the binolis effect. That when an object is traveling at a certain velocity, when certain things are in place, as far as that object is concerned, it will experience a lift. And it is going to defy the force of gravity. We even talked about the Archimedes principle. And the Newton, Newton's principle or law, the law of flotation. The law of mass and momentum and all those things. The law of force or whatever. So, I, I love physics because it was making sense to me. I hated mathematics because it was not making sense to me. Because if you don't know the formula, even if you pray. <laughs> you are lost. If you don't know what pi d is. Pi d square. What was the other one? Circumference, whatever. If you don't know the, 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 the formula to be able to solve the equation, I'm telling you, you're lost. That's why it, it didn't really, I was not really attracted to it, but physics was making sense. was making a lot of sense. You know? Why when I'm driving and I'm turning, the road has to be made in a certain way. Have you realized when you're turning, the road is not flat? Or you think it's a design? It's not a design. That's physics in place. I can see this side, they are lost. They are telling me, Pastor, please move on to spiritual matters. But I'm going there. Everything you see, there are certain laws that have been put in place by God to make sure that the elements of the world are controlled. That's why we don't have confusion. Everything is in place. Hallelujah. Certain forces are in place. All right? The law of inertia. <laughs> oh, my God. Beautiful. You see, I can, I'm enjoying it. But some of you is torture. Because you can remember what you got in physics. <laughs> Ask your neighbor, what did you get in physics? Some of you even dropped it. Say, these things don't make sense. Drop it. Let's go and do CRE. <laughs> anyway. Physics is about laws. But these people did not invent the laws. They discovered the laws that are there. So who put the laws into place? It is God that put these laws into place to be able to govern our physical world. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I also want you to understand that God has put spiritual laws to be able to govern our spiritual work with him. There are certain laws that God has instituted in our Christian work, in the Bible, so that as we work with him, as we serve him, and we begin to activate these laws in our lives, we'll experience tremendous blessings. Now, one of the laws that God has instituted in our Christian work is the law of giving, or the law of generosity. And I want to take you through some types of givers 
that we have in the church. This law is not given by the pastor. The law of giving, the law of generosity has not been invented by the pastor. It was given by God. Can I get an amen from the church? Tell your neighbor it has been given by God. And so the pastor is just reiterating what God has already instituted in his word as one of the laws that if his children can be able to activate, they are going to experience his blessings. So types of givers that we have in the church, and I'm going to limit our generosity to giving because we are talking about loving the church and we're talking about being a valuable member in the church. Of course, there are many other avenues of giving, but I'm going to limit my discussion today uh, to giving to the church. So types of givers in the church, number one is the tipper. Someone say the tipper. T-I-P-P-E-R. If you go to a fine restaurant, very nice restaurant with nice ambience, nice music, not New Joshua Hotel, like a five-star or a six-star or a seven-star hotel, very nice, and you eat. You know, as soon as you are done with eating, the waiter or the waitress will expect a tip from you. You understand? Now, the first time I went to America, this, this, this thing had not clicked. The first time I went to America, I remember, you know, after eating, you know, the waiter serves you, and then after you eat, then he asks you, hey, and you have not put my, my tip. And I said, but you are receiving salary. <laughs> then he said, no, 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 no. Our custom here is that we always receive tips. Then I realized tips are huge in America. Yeah, those guys survive on tips. They don't survive on their salaries, on tips. Because every time they serve somebody, that person tips them. And I could see the way they were being tipped. It was a huge amount of money. Somebody can put there $20, $30. That's like 2,000 shillings. 3,000 shillings. And he's just taken a cup of tea. Yeah, here in Kenya. <laughs> if you're a waiter or a waitress, you're, you're on your own. Anyway, but if you go to some of these restaurants, because that culture has come here now. If you get to some of these fine restaurants, I see you in fine restaurants in Jesus' name. Yeah, you, you, you put a tip there because they serve you with a smile, the way they receive you. You know these other ordinary hotels, you just enter. Isn't it? You just, you just go in and you look for a seat and you sit. But some of these fine restaurants, some of them, they, they expect you. You call and make reservations. When you arrive, they are waiting for you with a smile. Your name, please, sir. Oh, we've been expecting you. A table for four? I said, yes, madam. Follow me. Look, as you're following, please start thinking of the tip. <laughs> Don't just say, oh, these people are so nice to me. All right? They'll give you a table, you'll sit down, they'll serve you. They'll even bring somebody. He will introduce himself to you and say, I am the one who is going to be serving you. And so feel free to ask me anything. All those services, be thinking of what? Don't just say, hey, Lord Rakula. Then after that, after you serve, you tip them. And it's a good, it's a good practice. And in fact, I'll encourage you to be able to do so. It's a fantastic thing. Amen. So, but you will realize that in those hotels, sometimes the tip will depend on the service that you have received. 
If the waiter or the waitress has an attitude, even if you are thinking of giving them a tip, you change your mind. Because they did not give you excellent service. It's the same with church. We have tippers in church. They will come to church to see if the service is good, the toilets are clean, the preaching was fantastic, you know, he did not put physics in his message. And then they will decide if they will tip at the end of the service. These are tippers. They give according to what they see in the house of God. If they come to the house of God and it looks like there is a confusion, power has gone off, the generator is not working, the musicians, the way they are singing, they, they, even their uniform, they have color clashed. You know, things, they, there's disorder in the service. Even if they thought of giving an offering, they will be able to change their mind. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24b, there is one who withholds more than his right, but it leads to poverty. He knows what he needs to do, but he will always withhold it. He is a tipper. He will only give when he feels things are nice in the service. They sang my song. Because they sang my song, I will be able to, to give. Those are tippers. They are always giving in tandem with the experience they had in church. Ask your neighbor, are you a tipper? So they give because they are impressed by what is happening. Not because it is an act of obedience to God's word. Secondly, is the emotional giver. The emotional giver. Now, there was a time there was a documentary about farming in the northern part of our country. And it played on our local TV stations for a while. It highlighted the dire situation in those areas. They didn't have rain for a while, and so they didn't have food. And we saw all these footages of malnourished men and women and carcasses of animals in this country. And the whole country was gripped with compassion. We were moved to start thinking on what we could do. Because it was not happening in another country. It was not in South Sudan. It was not happening in uh, Tanzania or Uganda. It was happening right in this country. And so there was an initiative that brought all Kenyans together. I can't remember the name of the initiative. Uh, one shilling something or whatever. Shilling whatever something. I can't remember. And everybody was touched by just looking at the images. The whole country rallied together. And we raised monies to be able to help. Uh, the people who are starving in the northern part of this country. We gave because emotions were involved. When we saw how the animals were dying, we saw how men and women were starving. Something happened to us. Our conscience was pricked. And out of these very powerful emotions, people gave. People were generous. There was a pay bill number, or, or I think there was a number. Yes, a pay bill number or something. National and people give. Do, do you remember that time? And, and, and people gave. But after that, we went back to our daily grind, isn't it? And we forgot about, you know, what is happening there. So the money that was raised, we don't even know what it, do, what it did. Because I thought that that money was going to solve their problem permanently. But the other day I saw the, president's, the, the president was flagging off some emergency relief to those areas again. The areas that we raised monies to try and help, now they are sending relief one more time. It's because our, our reaction was emotional. It was not strategic. 
It was emotional. We said, okay, let's just give them food. Let's just give them food. Let's just give them food. But we didn't think of a long-term solution so that they don't have to die every time they have, you know, these erratic weather patterns. Emotional, an emotional giver is one who gives when he is on an emotional high. Anything he does, he does it when he is on an emotional high. And because he does it when he is on an emotional high, when the emotions change, their giving changes as well. You see, when your emotions are really high, it becomes very easy to do some things. Why do people fall in love? It's because emotions are involved. And they become very strong. And sometimes when you're, 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 you look at somebody and you are, you, you're experiencing some very powerful and strong emotions towards that particular person, you don't even have time to do a background check about the person. All you want is the person because by being around the person or listening to the person or by looking at the person, you know, it evokes some very strong feelings and emotions inside of you. You start feeling things that you've never felt since you were born. Hey, church is very quiet today. You feel something you've never, it's so strong. It grips you. And you believe that this is your source of happiness. This is the man you've been looking for. And this is the woman you've been looking for. So sometimes people can even tell you, we can see red flags. You say, which red flags? You are jealous of me. Because your emotions are now involved. You are captured emotionally. Your feelings are there. Your heart is there. Your soul is there. Because every time you think about this person, you feel very nice. So you can even see the red flags. You yourself, you can even see them, but you ignore them. Because the emotion overrides any form of fear that you have about that person. So you continue with the relationship because the emotions are driving you, they are driving you, they are driving you. You have to call them, you have to visit them, you have to be with them. And the guy is telling you, so everything the guy tells you, you believe. Because your emotions are involved. Until he takes you to the Institute of Character Development. <laughs> But you know what that means. That's when you become sober. And when you become sober and you separate emotions from logic, you start saying things like, how stupid was I? How can I be this foolish? How can I hey, imagine? Yes. How can I be this stupid? Because now emotions are not involved. Your, your, your spectacles can see this person as he is. Do you understand what I'm talking about? And so emotional givers, they give when they are only on an emotional high. They don't give out of conviction. They give only when their emotions are involved. You have to whip them into a frenzy for them to give. You have to excite their emotions for them to be able to. To give, but when their emotions cool down, they will not give because for them, giving is not a conviction, giving is an emotional affair. You see, when you look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 31 to 35, when Jesus told his disciples that they will betray him, he told all of them, All of you are going to betray him. You know, emotions got a better part of Peter, 
And without thinking soberly, he said, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Then Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And emotions got a better part of him and he said, even if I have to die. He's telling Jesus all these words. Even if I have to die with you, I will not, I, I will not deny you. And then all the disciples, the Bible says, all the disciples also, you know, said what Peter had said. It's because Peter was on an emotional high. And he was saying things to please everybody that was there. To show Jesus that I am with you. And then when you look at verse 69 of the same chapter, if you can beam it on the script, verse 69 to 74, when the rubber met the road. No? When he was faced with a tough situation. Please, media, move very quickly. Verse 69 of Matthew. Chapter 26. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl, a small girl, just came to him and saying, you are also with Jesus of Galilee. This is the time Jesus had been arrested. Verse 70. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you are saying. Because this time the emotions are not involved. Things are now real. Jesus has actually been arrested. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. You see, Peter did not realize that every time they were going and their crowds were there, people were marking the people who were around Jesus. And he was among them. Verse 72, but again he denied with an oath. This time he said, I, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you also are one of them for your speech, the way you talk. You're talking like Jesus. You're using words like hallelujah, praise the Lord, thank you Jesus. Your speech betrays you. Then what did he say? Then he began to curse. This time he was cursing and swearing, saying, I do not know the man. And immediately, a rooster crowed. So at this particular moment, he was being faced with a real situation. Before that, he was faced with a situation that he thought might never happen. And he thought even if it happens, because of how he feels for Jesus, he will not deny him. So a giver who gives or an emotional giver gives because he's under very powerful emotions. But when those emotions are absent, that person will not give. Look, emotions are unpredictable. Today you feel like this, tomorrow you feel like this. Today you are up, tomorrow you are down. You will, not, you will not always be on a straight line. Always you are happy. You wake up, you are happy. You wake up, you are happy. You wake up, Monday you are happy. Tuesday you are happy. Wednesday you are happy. Thursday you are happy. Thursday, Friday you are happy. Every day you are happy. There are days you wake up and you don't even want anybody to say hi to you. Isn't it true? Talk to me, somebody. You know, married people are very quiet. But I'm saying the truth. You wake up and you just want nobody to talk to you. Or sometimes you go to bed and you don't want anybody to say, can we talk before we sleep? You just want to sleep. Because your emotions fluctuate. 
You're not happy all the time. That's why you have to force yourself to have the joy of the Lord. You have to force yourself to be happy. You have to force yourself to do certain things. Otherwise, emotions will not allow you to do some things. You understand what I'm talking about? So an emotional giver depends upon emotions to be able to do what? To give. That's why people take a lot of pledges, even in church. Emotional responses. Then they don't fulfill the pledges. Only 10% of the people who take pledges are the ones who fulfill their pledges. The rest don't. One time I was speaking to another very um, experienced bishop. And I asked him, do you take pledges in your church? He said, yes. He said, what is the reaction? He said, when you receive pledges, huh? calculate 10% of the pledges. That is the amount you have. And I've seen it's true. Some people even take the pledges and the following Sunday, they move to another church. <laughs> yes. And they go with my envelope. Tell your neighbor, please, bring back our envelope. <laughs> it's emotional. It's not out of conviction. And I want to push you from the emotional, you know, part of you to the conviction part of you so that you understand that giving is a law that has been instituted by God. It has nothing to do with your feelings. Oh, you're quiet. I say giving has nothing to do with your feelings. It has everything to do with God. Please say amen so I know what I'm saying is making sense. Or you don't even feel like saying amen. You see, even feelings are trying to tell you don't say amen. I don't think that is true. But tell your neighbor, it's true. Yes, it has nothing to do with your emotions. It has everything to do with God. Number three is the casual giver. To do something casually is to do it without serious intent or commitment. The casual giver does not give. Oh, sorry. The casual giver gives but without serious intent or, or, or commitment. He can choose to give or choose not to give because he's not really, really serious about this law of giving. He lacks the mind, he lacks the attention, and he lacks the will to give consistently. There is no preparation, there is no seriousness, there is no intentionality put into their giving. They are very casual about it. They don't see the monies that come into their hands as seeds that they need to sow. And so everything is casual. You see, if you take giving casually, you can't even, you can't even have a record of your giving in the church. Because it's very casual to you. You can give, you cannot give, or you can decide not to give, you can give, or you can decide not to give, but it, never, it will never move you. Because you've taken it very casually. It's the same way if you take your marriage casually, it will not survive. If you take your job casually, you might not last in employment for a long time. If you take your business casually, you might not survive. Because there's competition. I've realized in our country, if you, if, if you are selling shirts and you're making it, and your shop is doing very well, somebody will come and start a shop next to you. And also sell shirts like the ones you are selling. The competition is very stiff. Isn't it true? 
If you're selling shoes and they see, hey, you're seeing customers are coming, customers. Even if your neighbor was selling gas and you start seeing a lot of customers are coming to buy shoes, to buy shoes, the next month you will see that the name has changed. The gas has been removed. Now he's selling what? Shoes. So if you're not serious about your business and you're very casual about how you do it, you will not survive. The competition is very stiff. It's the same with giving. We have casual givers. They're not very serious about their giving. No wonder they are not blessed. Because if you take what God has instituted casually, you will never experience results. You understand what I'm talking about? You see, I talked about you know, the plane taking off. If, if the engineers or the guys who make sure that the plane has to run well, they take their work casually and you're in that plane and then it takes off, then it gets somewhere and then it develops mechanical problems. I'm telling you, there will be a crash. Isn't it? Talk to me, somebody. There will be a crash, isn't it? Yes. So casual givers will never go far. And there are people who are very casual about their giving. Where do we see casual givers in the Bible? We see it in Cain. Cain was very casual about his giving. There was no preparation. There was no thinking. There was no soberness in the selection of his offering. But Abel, on the other hand, approached giving with seriousness, with the seriousness that it deserves. He selected the best of the sacrifice to bring unto God. Look at Genesis chapter 4. Give me from the King James Version, KJV. Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 to 5. We see these two givers here. Genesis chapter 4, please, quickly. I have a lot of ground to cover this morning. Genesis chapter 4, KJV. Do you have it? Quickly, quickly, quickly. Verse 3. Why are you very casual about sending me scriptures? And in the process of time, can we read together? And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. You can see a very casual attitude there. No preparation, no thinking, no soberness about giving to God. Look at Abel. And Abel, he also brought of the First link. That means he was selecting. Firstlings of his flock and of the fat. He even chose the fat to bring to God. Therefore, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and unto his offering because he was serious about it. How about Cain? But unto Cain and to his offering, he had no respect and Cain was angry and his countenance failed. He was angry because God did not respect him and God did not respect his offering. If you are casual about your offering, God will never respect you. Why is the church very quiet this morning? Why is the church very quiet this morning? Neighbor, are you here? Church, are you here? I'm saying if you are casual about your giving, God will never respect you. He will not even respect your offering. When, 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 when Cain just came with a casual attitude, he picked a fruit and brought it and, throw, and threw it before God. God did not respect him and God did not respect his offering. But Abel was careful. He chose the first fatlings, the fastlings and the fatlings of what he had and he brought before God. And God, see, God saw that this guy is serious about his offering. And then God says, I better respect him and I better respect his offering. We, talked about, we talk about us respecting God, but there is a dimension you reach where God also respects you. 
There's a level of giving you get to where God respects you. He honors you. May God respect you for your giving. I say may God respect you for your giving. Number four is the stingy giver. This one will never give no matter what. You can turn them upside down and shake them real good. Nothing will come out of them. He is stingy or she is stingy to the bone. Reasons why people are stingy, number one, is upbringing. There are people who are stingy because of their upbringing. They grew up in stingy homes. They were raised up with stingy fathers and stingy mothers. Their parents were so stingy. And they could see that their parents were stingy. Their parents never shared anything with any relative. When a visitor came, when they were just about to have dinner, their parents told them, take the food back to the kitchen. Wait until the visitors go. And they gave visitors stories upon stories upon stories until midnight. After the visitors left, they said, okay, now bring the food. Let us eat. Grew up being taught how to be stingy. I remember we used to live with a neighbor who never shared anything with anybody in that neighborhood. But as soon as we left to go to school and our parents went to work, that neighbor could come and approach our house manager and tell our manager how poor they are. They didn't even have food the other day. They have slept hungry and our house manager could share some food with them. What are you teaching your children? Are you teaching them generosity or are you teaching them to be stingy? When you pack lunch for your son, what do you tell your son? This one is yours. Nobody should touch it. If they touch it, call me. What are you teaching your daughter when you're packing lunch for her? This is yours. Everybody for himself. God for us all. Protect this one. This is yours. Don't share it with anyone. You are teaching that child stinginess. You rather even put two bananas and say, I'm putting one for you. And if you have a friend, give the other one to your friend. I know you can't clap because those are the things you've been doing. May God have mercy on you. May you teach your children to be generous. Hallelujah. Teach them to, look, giving one banana, it will never make you poor. Sharing an orange will never make you poor. Are you understanding what I'm talking about? Teach your children. We have taught our children if they invite you, if somebody invites you to their house, carry something. Carry something and go with it. Yeah. And I've tried every time, most of the time when I'm invited to go somewhere, I try and carry something. Yeah, I'll even carry fruits and bring it to you. You might not like it, but at least I've brought you something. The more you give, the better it is for you. And many of us, we are stingy. We're in church, but stingy. We are born again, but stingy. You will have clothes which can't fit you, but you just love seeing them. Shoes don't fit you anymore, but you just want them there. Holding, keeping things. 
Because something has been engraved in you. You are so stingy. Until when you come to church and pastor is preaching such a powerful message, you can't even say amen. That's how stingy you are. Tell your neighbor, stop being stingy. Another one is ignorance. The reason why people are stingy is ignorance. They don't know. That's why I'm teaching you. That people say, why are you talking about money? I'm talking about money because you don't know some of the laws instituted in the word of God concerning your finances. I'm not teaching you about money because I'm greedy. I'm teaching you about money because you are ignorant. Tell your neighbor, you don't know everything. It's ignorance. It's ignorance. You see, sometimes I hear Christians make some comments and I'm surprised. I'm just surprised. I'm wondering, which Bible do they read? It's ignorance. That they have decided to leave this church because we are giving too much. Are you a, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? You, you, you can give more than God. You, I'm giving too much. That's why I'm leaving. I want to go to a church that does not give. Show me a church in this world that does not give. Catholics, people are giving. Methodists, people are giving. Methodist, uh, AIC, people are giving. Freemason, people are giving. In fact, there are churches or there are denominations where you don't give money, you even give children. If you decide to go to a witch doctor, the witch doctor will ask for an offering. How many have ever visited Moving on swiftly. <laughs> Even us sitting here is because God gave. So you can say, I'm moving on. They're asking offerings every time. Every time they're asking, we should ask for offerings. It's a law. Give and it will come back to you. Good measure. Press down. Shake it together. And running. The same measure you use the same measure you use is the same measure that will be used on you. Ask your neighbor, which Bible do you read? The one I'm reading is full of giving. So stingy people will always resist that message. Why is he preaching? Why is he talking about, why is he talking about money? He should talk about Jesus. He should talk about power. This is also power. This is financial power. Receive financial power in the name of Jesus. Yes. <laughs> I've always told you, I will never be afraid to preach to you what is in the Bible. Even if you are stingy with your amens. I will never be afraid. It is the word of God that gives me boldness to speak the way I'm speaking. Otherwise, remove the Bible. I'm a very shy man. Yeah, me, I'm very shy. What gives me boldness is the word of God. I repeat what God has said. If you take the Bible, I'm a very shy man. I will not even talk in front of you. I'll excuse myself. Please excuse me, I'm leaving. <laughs> it's the word of God. What God said, or what God has said in his word, that is what I'm saying to you. You understand? Some people don't give because they have a misconception about giving. They think giving is enriching, enriching the pastor. Giving does not enrich the pastor. Look, your giving can never enrich a pastor. 
You're very quiet, isn't it? Because when some of you see a pastor driving a guy, say, that's my time. That's my tithe going. My tithe has taken a corner. My tithe has just passed Southfield, Southfield, Southfield Mall. My, my tithe is going, is going. Look, my tithe is doing 100 kilometers on Mombasa Road. Your tithe can never, ever enrich a pastor. It is a wrong way of thinking. It can never. You need to know, when you see a ministry like this, a lot of things are happening behind the scenes that you don't know. You don't know. This man will tell you. He always gives me a budget every week. Every week. For us to have a service every Sunday. We have a budget. If your tithe was enriching the pastor, you will not have these keyboards. You will not have this. You will not have those screens. You will not have power. You will not even have this land. The amount of money we have spent here if it came to me, I'm telling you, I'll be on another level. Your tithe does not enrich the pastor. It doesn't. It doesn't. Like this pastor you're looking at. Huh? This pastor does not even count your offering. This pastor does not even bank your offering. This pastor does not even sign checks on a weekly basis to run this ministry. This pastor you are looking at. So if you think your tithe is enriching me, change your mind. And if you want it to enrich me, bring it to me direct. So you are thinking it is enriching me. Bring it directly. I say, Pastor, I want to enrich you with my tithe. Let me see if your tithe can buy me a car. Ask your neighbor, what's your tithe? Can it buy a V8 for Pastor? I'm teaching you so that you understand. You understand. There are people who work here full time. We pay them salaries on time. When you came, you found a guard there at the gate. We pay. It's not philanthropy. Power is being paid. So if all your tithe went to the pastor, there will be no ministry. There will be no church here. This land could not have been bought. I could be giving you stories upon stories. I told you, we are still negotiating. You understand what I'm talking about? It's because for me, I understand that the church has to run. My prayer is that even when I'm done with my work here, that the ministry will continue. So tell your neighbor, change your thinking. Change, change, change. Yeah. Because even as I'm preaching, you're saying, you see now, <laughs> huh? the sound guys have given me a list of the things they need I'm believing God for that it's going to cost us like 4 million or plus to have state of the art sound we have a cathedral to build if the pastor takes all this money are we going to have a church here 
And look, me as your pastor, you need to know I'm very educated. I'm a doctor. And I understand how things run and how things work. Yeah, I have some knowledge in administration. All these things. I know a little about so many things. About running an organization, running a church and stuff like that. So change your thinking. You're not enriching the pastor. You cannot enrich the pastor. It is God who blesses your pastor. Not you. Hmm. That's why you hear people leave church and say, let's see what he will do. We are the ones who are the biggest tithers. And they just see the church is still going on. I remember one person left and he said, we will see how he will survive. Because look, even I don't even know what you give. I don't. I don't even know your tithe. I don't. And the reason why I decided to do that is because I don't want to minister to you based on what you give. I just know these are my members. I don't know who is giving 100,000, who is giving 10. I don't know those things. They are none of my business. Because I don't want money to influence my ministry to you. You understand? So if you, if you think you are giving because it's going to his account, you, you, you're mistaken. Tell your neighbor, something is wrong with your common oblangata. Stingy. Give us. They are deceived. First Samuel chapter 25. Mm. I'm getting blessed. Let's read from verse 2. I want to show you a stingy giver here. And there was a man. Take me back to New King James Version, please. Now there was a man in Mount whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. You'll be rich as well, in Jesus' name. I say you'll be rich in Jesus' name. May God elevate you. May you become wealthy. May you be filthy rich in Jesus' name. Somebody shout, I receive it. He had 3,000 sheep. And a thousand goats. And he was sharing his sheep in Carmel. Then, the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. If the Bible describes a woman as beautiful, she must be very beautiful. Because God does not waste words. If you already ask somebody who is next to you, am I beautiful? Do you think I'm beautiful? Some of you don't even bother asking because you know the answer. Okay. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He is rich. He has a beautiful wife, um, a woman of good understanding, but he was harsh and he was evil in his doing. It's like he was corrupt. He was of the house of Caleb. Now, verse 4. And when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was sharing his sheep, what did he do? David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, What happened? And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. Verse 6. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity. He lived in prosperity. Prosperity. 
You shall live in prosperity in the name of Jesus. I say you shall live in prosperity in Jesus' name. Hey, this is fantastic. Don't you like it? Hey, and say peace to you. Peace be to you. Peace to your house. And peace to all that you have. Verse 7. Now, I have heard that you have shared us. Your shepherds were with us. And we do not hurt them. Nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Kamal. Verse 8. Ask your young men and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes. For we have come on a feast day. He said, we protected your people. We are shareholders of your prosperity. We protected your servants. We, made sure, we, we, pro, we gave them security when they were out there taking care of the sheep that you are sharing right now. So, give us something small. Hmm? Let us have handshake. Oh, okay. I, I, ask, ask your young men and they will tell you, therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes for we have come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand, to your servants and to your son, David. Verse 9. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. They say, we have come in the name of David. We have been sent. Verse 11. Quickly. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, who is David? Look at the way he's responding. Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each from his own master. I don't recognize David. So shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've killed for my sharers and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? The guy was so blessed, but at the same time, stingy. So you can see, you can, st you can be stingy when you're poor, but also you can be stingy when you're rich. So it has nothing to do with your possession. It has everything to do with your disposition. Only those who are stingy are clapping. But the rest are stingy with their claps, isn't it? So there are people who say, when I get a lot of money, I will be generous. If you can't do it now, you will never do it. The guy was so rich. But you can see, what David was asking from him was just a quarter, a drop in the ocean, as far as his you know, wealth is concerned. And he said, I can't give it to him. Yet David protected his servants, protected his animals, protected his property. But he was a stingy, stingy guy. I pray that you will not be stingy. I pray that your children will not be stingy. I pray that your lineage will not be stingy. Can I hear better? Amen. And look, we even have pastors who are stingy. They preach about giving, but they never give. They preach about tithing. They never tithe. Very stingy pastors. And they tell people, give, give, give. Look, if you're a stingy pastor, you're cursing the church. The church will never prosper. No wonder we have very poor churches in this world. Because the pastor is stingy. He will never give to anyone. For me, I know the secret. That's why we try and maximize on all the avenues of giving. We give to the poor. We give our tithe. Since this ministry started, we have never stopped tithing as a ministry. And I remember, even growing up, my dad used to tell me, please don't play with joke. Don't, 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 don't joke with tithe. Don't play with your tithe. Give your tithe all. So every time a visitor could come or even a relative could come and he gives us 
like, like man, you know the way a visitor comes and then he says, where are the children? Then he calls the children, then the children come around the visitor, they're hugging the, the, the visitor, and then the, the visitor removes a wallet. He's giving each of them a thousand, a thousand. And I could see my father looking at us. And the eyes were sending a message. You must tithe. Nabal was stingy. I pray that you will not be stingy. Can we go deeper? So what are you supposed to give consistently? Number one, the tithe. The tithe is 10% of your income. And you're doing it to do what? To honor God. Tell your neighbor, tithe to honor God. Now, how many tithe? Please don't lift up your hand. I know the answer to that question. All of you will lift up your hands. But if I ask the second question, which is, how many tithe consistently? I will not get a lot of hands. When you talk about tithing, everybody say, oh, me, I tithe. Oh, me, I tithe. Oh, me, I tithe. I tithe. I tithe. Oh, talk about tithing. Ah, I tithe. But when you ask them, do you tithe consistently? They say, sometimes. When I remember. Sometimes. But I try. I try. I try. A lot of believers don't tithe consistently. In fact, some of them don't even tithe correctly. They know the tithe, but they give 1%. What is the tithe? 10% of your income. So that means if you earn a million shillings, what is your tithe? 100,000. But they say, God, I'm going to break it into 12 months. <laughs> so if you break it in 12 months, how, many, how much will you be given every month? Your tithe is 100,000, isn't it? But you're bringing, breaking it in 12 months. So every month you'll be giving how much? Please, I told you I do physics. I don't do mathematics. So mathematicians, please help us. Huh? Around 8,000 and? 8,300. So every month you give 8,300. 8,300. 8,300. Without knowing that even delayed tithe, according to God, attracts interest. Why does it attract interest? It's because God wants you to tithe consistently and correctly. Hey, today the church is quiet. How comes when you talk about money, people keep quiet? I don't even know why. Pastor Nguri, I don't understand. Huh? They don't tithe consistently. And they don't tithe correctly. And it's because of a wiped way of thinking. They think God is taking away from me. If you get 10 million, what is your tithe? One million. Do you think God can give you ten million? Yes, he can. May God give somebody a ten million in the name of Jesus. I say, may God give somebody a ten million, twenty million, thirty million, fifty million, a hundred million. Receive it in the name of Jesus. But will you tithe? Can I tell you why you've not seen it? Somebody say, tell us. The reason why you're not seeing it is because the 100,000 is giving you. You are not faithful. If you get 100,000, what is your type? 10,000 is your type. You give it without struggling. You say, God, this one, 10,000, boom, is yours. Because 90 that is blessed is more than 100 that is under a curse. And you don't do it once. You do it consistently because you are a valuable member. 
consistently. You don't, you see, look, can I tell you something? Believers, tithing is the lowest form of discipline as far as your finances are concerned as a believer. It's the lowest. So if you don't, pit, if you don't, I almost said PT are there. If you don't, <laughs> if you don't go beyond that, you are still a child. You're still a child. You're telling God, I don't think you can entrust me with a lot. There are people who are even tithing a nine, they are tithing 90 and they are living on 10. Now, when you get to that level, you are really blessed. Where you can tithe 90 and live on 10. You 10, you are struggling. How will God elevate you? He can't. When you get 50 shillings, what is your tithe? Give it to God. When you get 100, what is your tithe? Give it to God. When you get 50,000, what is your tithe? Don't even think twice. As soon as the money hits you, boom, give it to God. Don't say, let me use it now and then I'll see how I'm going to organize myself. There's a way I organize my finances. God is watching you. Because by tithing, you're also communicating to God that you are number one in my life. Oh, somebody help me preach in this house. You are telling God, before I think about my rent, before I think about my food, before I think about school fees for my children, before I think about money for my, my mascara and my makeup and my shoe and my hair, God, you are number one. Because the principle is not even in the money itself. The principle is in obedience and putting God as number one in your life. That is one of the ways God knows that he is number one in your life. Apart from just saying, oh God, you're number one. You're number one. Yes, you're number one. After you're done singing, yes, you're number one. God is checking the way you have put him as number one as far as your monies are concerned. Why money? Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. If you sing Yesu number moja and you're not a tither, your heart is not for God. That's why Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips. Yesu ni number moja, number moja, teremuka, 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 teremuka. But their hearts very far from me. Ask your neighbor, where are you? Yes, Why are you not helping me to sing the song? Worship <laughs> team. What do we do? What do we give again? Offerings. Somebody say offerings. Offerings are over and above the tithe. And we have different types of offerings in the Bible. We have the first fruits. When God gives you your first job, you say, oh God, I want to give all of it to you. Somebody told me, Pastor, but if I give all of you, how, will, how all of it, how will I survive? But you survived before. God himself says, Pastor Ngure, he says, try me. Try me and see. He says, put me to test and see. God himself is saying that. Huh. 
You're worried. Oh, now if I give all of it, what's going to happen to me? God says, try me and see. And see what I can do. One of the things I've decided to do in my life, I made a decision long time ago that money will never control me. Me. Money never controls me. Talk to people who are around me, they will tell you, money never controls me. And money never moves me. The only thing that moves me is God. So there's fast fruits, there's thanksgiving, you can give a thanksgiving offering. God has been good to you. I mean, December you have seen, oh, this year I've not even seen a doctor. Oh, thanksgiving to God. Oh, this week God has protected me. Oh, I give a thanksgiving to God. I give an offering. You give an offering to thank God for all the good things he has done. Different types of offering. You can give a sacrificial gift to God just to sacrifice. Once in a while, be sacrificing. Just once in a while, somebody gives you money, like 10,000, you didn't even expect it. They say, ah, instead of buying a shoe, let me give it to God. It's a sacrifice. Just say, mm, if you can say amen. <laughs> offerings. These are different offerings I'm just throwing to you. Church buildings. When you're building the church, you say, I'm part of this. I'm going to build the house of God. We even have a prophet's reward offering. Huh? The one you say, e, this one, this one I'm taking to pastor directly. Me, I'll receive it and seek a blessing over your life. It's in the Bible. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Is your mind changing? Am I changing your mind? Are things changing in your head? Tell your neighbor, my head is changing. Hit, hit your head a little bit and tell them, my, 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 my head is, is changing. Things are changing in my head. I have no time, but I'm going to throw this to you quickly. Examples of consistent givers in the Bible. Number one is Elkanah. We read about Elkanah. You remember Elkanah? First Samuel chapter 1, verse 4. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. He went yearly and he went to sacrifice. He was taking offerings every time he went and he was a consistent giver. I pray that God will raise up Elkanah's here who are consistent givers in the name of Jesus. They will give in January. They will give in December. They will give in October. They will give. It doesn't matter the month. It doesn't matter the time. They will be consistent givers in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen? Secondly, it is God. My goodness, I thank God for that. Amen. It sounds like for TYC or what? Something. Oh, yes. Oosh. Number two, it is God. You legends. Number two is God. Somebody say God. John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. Now, he gave his son, but he didn't stop there. Look at Matthew chapter 5. And verse 45, the Bible says, He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good. And He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So, God is always giving. He's always giving. People are cursing God, He gives them rain. They are cursing God, He gives them the sun. I mean, He's always giving. He's a generous, consistent God. So, we can see that if we are the children of God and God is consistent when it comes to giving, then we should be also consistent when it comes to giving. Can we go a little bit deeper? Luke chapter 8, a group of women 
who were around Jesus in Luke chapter 8. Can you give me that scripture quickly? It's the last scripture we read, then we pray. Luke chapter 8. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. Verse 2. Now certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Achero, Magdalene, <laughs> out of whom had come seven demons. Look at this woman. She had seven demons. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod Steward, and Susanna, and many others. Who did what? Who provided for him from their substance. They were around Jesus just to make sure that his needs are supplied. They were around Jesus to make sure that anything he needed, they supplied. Now, give me from the amplified version of the Bible. Let's amplify this before we bring it to a close. Hallelujah. Afterward, Jesus went on through the towns and villages, preaching and bringing the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God. And 12 apostles were with him. Keep moving. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had been expelled. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa. Herod's household manager and Susanna and many others who ministered to and provided for him and them out of their share, out of their property and personal belongings. They were there to minister to Jesus and to supply everything that he needed so that the ministry may run. May God raise up Joannas in this ministry. May God raise up these powerful women that we see in this scripture, in this ministry, in the name of Jesus. In fact, ladies, I need to tell you, I have a message for you. One of these Fridays, I'm going to preach a message to the women about how powerful the seed of a woman is. And you'll be so shocked. It's not what you're thinking. A woman is carrying a seed. We can see that these women were carrying seeds. And they were able to minister to Jesus and make sure that every need he had was supplied. I pray that may God raise up a company of consistent givers in this ministry. Who will not be tired of tithing. Who will not be tired of giving offerings. They will tithe consistently. They will give consistently. And as they do so, God will bless them consistently in the name of Jesus. Lift up your hands and say, that is me. Every spirit of stinginess, I kick it out of your life in the name of Jesus. Every form of emotional giving, I kick it out of your life in Jesus' name. Every form of casual giving, I kick it out of your life in the name of Jesus. I prophesy that you will not be a tipper. I prophesy you will not just be an occasional giver. I prophesy you will not be a stingy giver in the name of Jesus. You will be a consistent, regular giver in the house of God in Jesus name if you are the one shout a louder yeah shout a holy ghost yeah touch five people around you and tell them I'm changing my giving I'm changing my giving I'm changing my giving patterns I'm changing my giving patterns I will not be irregular I will be consistent I will not be stingy 
I will be consistent. I will not be stingy. I will be consistent. In the name of Jesus, I will give when I feel like and I will give when I don't feel like because my emotions will not dictate my generosity. It is my conviction that will dictate my generosity. I will give until we build the church. I will... I will give until we plant churches. I will give until I see my pastor preaching on the television all over the world. I will give until we send we send missionaries all over the world to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will give until my church fulfills her mandate. Do I have those people in this house? Shout, I am the one. Shout again, I am the one. These women were around Jesus. Not to seduce him. But to give. Another translation says, as the custom was in those days of disciples of a rabbi. So I challenge you to become consistent giver. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is one of the laws for prosperity. God says, try me. See if I'll not open windows. Of heaven. I don't have time to read Malachi. Windows of heaven. And pour out a blessing. Now when a blessing comes, anything you do prospers. Joseph did not prosper because he was hardworking. He prospered because there was a blessing on top of his head. May you walk under open heavens. May windows be opened above you. Even as you become a consistent giver in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for everybody under the sound of my voice. There are some here who have not been consistent in giving, consistent in tithing. Let this message start up, change, bring change in their lives. That they will turn around, change their ways, and become valuable members in your house. Members who give consistently that your work may continue. In Jesus' name, we all shout a big amen. Can you give God a praise in this house? Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can now get in touch with Dr. Dazutechero on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.